Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hello, I'm Georgie Courage-Cole, founder and editor of Sherlock, and welcome to today's In Conversation With podcast. If you follow Shillux at all closely, then you'll know that for the past year and a half, we've been working with the charity Key for Life. I've interviewed its founder, Eva Hamilton, MBE, on this podcast and met Maya, my guest today, at a mentoring workshop put on by the charity she founded. I'm thrilled to say that Maya is SL Mann's resident male model, having completed a three-day work taster here at Shillux. On the last day of his taster, he spent about an hour telling 30 Shillux employees his story. I've talked before about how the path for a lot of guys like Mayer is predetermined and about how important it is that they're given opportunities. And so with that in mind, I wanted him to share his story on this podcast too. Welcome, Mayer. I was just talking about how I should start this podcast and he said, I know how you should start this podcast. You should start with the day that we first met For various reasons, I was at a Key for Life workshop and Maya was sitting down at the table and I thought, right, I better start talking to someone because I'm a bit out on a limb here. So I sat down and Maya was sitting there with his head between his hands, not looking very happy. And I was like, you're right. Very stiff face, staring staring out in the window. Looking very cross. So I sat down and I was like, you're right. And he's like, yeah, I'm right. And I was like, that's a cool jacket. You've got cool style. We kind of got on straight away. And he lifted up his leg and he had a tag on. And I was like, can I ask you why you've got a tag on? And he said, yeah, I've been to prison. Anyway, we got chatting. I went to the workshop and the rest is kind of history. May I want you to take over from this point. Mm. I mean, we met through Key for Life, this amazing charity, which we've talked about on the podcast before. We've interviewed your caseworker, Corey. We've introduced the founder, Eva. Mm -hmm. Yeah. We've been on the show, but when you came to Sherlock's and did a work taster with us, you told your story to the team on your last day, and yeah, I mean, you are a born showman, you belong on the stage. You could have heard a pin drop, like it was really captivating, and you made a real impression on everybody. And I thought, God, I really want you to tell that story on a podcast and to talk about like the wider situation in this country. Tell us about your heritage. What is your heritage? And tell us about your background, your education, and, you know, how you've got from... From A to B. A to B. Now you ended up in prison. Heading towards to Z, yeah. Well, for my heritage, I was born in Nigeria, came to this country when I was nine years old. This was a few years after my father passed away. And my mom came to the country at first, and she went back to get me because she couldn't live without me. (laughs) Well, so she left you in Nigeria? Yeah. You know, she just felt like it could have been better to have left me with, you know, my father's parents. Right. You know, it's more like a cultural thing. You right. Know, or 
uh, ladies and really going to take the son away from the father's family unless okay. they're sort of okay with it, you know. But it's not something like they forced on her or anything. But my father passed at a time where she was still very, very young, very, uh-huh. very young. And, you know, it was a tragedy that didn't come at a planned time. What did he die from? He got ill. You know, I'm too young to remember all the details, you know. Every time I try to speak to him about it, it just goes fuzzy. So she'll probably tell me in her own time. But more than likely, he got ill and passed away. But I just believe, you know, for her, I felt like she felt pressure to step up. So, you know, she wanted to just move away to start a new life, start a new beginning and probably give me opportunities that I might have, you know, lost out on because, you know, a loss of a father or a figure like that in a family could really restrict certain achievements. Right. She moved here. She went and got you. You came over when you were nine. That's correct. And it was just you and her. You didn't have any other family in the UK? Um, No, we had other families in the UK. My mum's older sister. Okay. Yeah, that was the family in the UK. And talk to us about school, because this is a formative time for you, and this is where it kind of started to go wrong, right? Yeah, some of the things, you know, the memory is a bit sketchy, so I just, I get flashbacks of it, so I could just sort of talk about it in the best way that I can remember. Well, for me, primary school, it was just pretty much all right. I learned how to use a computer, so on and so forth. Now, this is something that you know, some of my primary school friends, they're listening to this, they'll laugh at it. There's Why would they laugh at it? Because the computer is something normal when you're born in England. But when you're not born in England, a computer, the right. access of a computer is something that is not the norm. I see. So that was something that I really, really, really appreciated coming to this country. And uh-huh. then finding out that schools are free, that's another thing as well. And through that, I believe that's probably where my appreciation for, you know, the education system came in. Yeah, I mean, it's worth jumping in here and saying you have a degree, like you're that's, a bright yeah. guy. Um, so <laughs> you went to school over here when you were nine. Yeah. You learned how to use a computer. You then yeah. went to secondary school. At what age mm. did things start to change for you? Things started to change for me at the age of 13. In what way? In a sense where I started to become more aware of my parents. I started to become more aware of my surroundings, my environments. I started to understand the value of money, the medium of exchange. You know, I started to realize that, you know, going to the park and just playing football, you're going to get thirsty and you're going to need money to buy a drink. Yeah. At that age, you're allowed to go a bit further away from the house. You know, you're not really going to the park with your older siblings or your aunties or your parents so you know when it comes time there you go so when it comes time to you know when you're thirsty or you want something to eat you can't just look to them for them to buy things but that's when I started to be aware of money and the value of money you said at 13 things started to change for you and you started to get involved in criminal activities do you remember your first transaction and how did that escalate and how did that make you feel I mean I imagine it made you feel quite powerful from, from like the age of 13, this is about when I'm like going into year eight. From year eight is when, you know, we started to realize the whole, the kickers and um, the Gucci belts, Gucci hats, just a lot of high-end brands. And these are the things that look Yeah, you good. start to be aware of material you things. You start to be aware of material things. But I went to an all-boy school. So you'll meet the older guys, like the year 11s that will come in with the outfits. And then after school, you might see them meeting up with some girls and for the life of me you just can't find the outfits they're wearing in Primark so I'm thinking where's that <laughs> until one day me and my friend um you know we went to the West End and we just looked around this is probably one of my first because like I said you're old enough to go further away from yeah, the house yeah. like fair enough you might need to be at home by let's say seven o'clock but you've got the whole day on a Saturday to go exploring so you know 
from around the time that we'll go to West End um, Chocadero and you'll just see all these shops and all these brands and all these clothing that just looked good, you know, it looked good. And with me, I'm not really a flashy person, but I like nice things. And even with that, it just got to a point where I started to grow this little pride of, I didn't want to ask my mom for money. Because yeah. it's like, I'll have to have like 101 explanations as to why I need the money. So how did you know that the way to get the money was to sell drugs? It first started with just a conversation. It's a genuine conversation. Like, it's time to start making money. Like, we need to start making money. We can't just be like this, you know. Then it's like, so how are we going to make money then? Oh, we could steal phones. I'm like, nah, man, we're not, like, not really with the stealing, thieving, and so on and so forth. But he said... Yo, I know one of my older cousins can get me some weed. Now, from then, it's like, okay, but then how are we going to get the money for that? We're going to have to rob phones. You know, I'm not proud of it, but that's how it started. And then the money we got from selling whatever phones, then we used it to buy it and the rest was history. So you nicked phones mm. off people, yeah, sold them mm. and used that money. But in those them. days, that's how... The street was, if you was in the wrong area, you could get approached and you'll be, where are you from? From when you're not from there and there's no one that we know together, then we're going to just take things away from you. But me personally, I've only ever done that once. That was to get money. That was to to just weed. literally to just get money, to get some weed so I could just get whatever I needed to get started because I knew I wasn't going to ask anyone for the money. But with that being said, you know, from us doing that to them putting our money together, we saved up about £100. That's what, £50 each. So then... We did that, we got about a quarter each. And then from then, we just broke it down into little bags, made back double. Then we just kept on using the whole money, just reinvesting it and just doubling it and just reinvesting it and just doubling it. And then by the end of the year, we made two grand and we split. And you're what, 13 at this 13, stage? 13, yeah. This was before I was 14. So I made my first grand when I was 13. And were there a lot of other people at school also selling drugs? Not anyone our age. No. Like maybe some of the older boys... But because they're older, they'll be more under the supervision of adults. They wouldn't risk to come to do that in school. They'll probably just do it outside of school or they might just probably need someone like me. I know that I could just come to them, give them a lump sum of money and they'll just bring me my big bit and do what I need to do. And what were you doing with the profit? What were you doing with the money you made? At that age, there isn't many things you can do with the money. You know, I was just saving it, buying bikes, little clothes, food in school. And that progressed mm. and you made more money and you sold harder drugs. Mm. You left school, mm. you decided to go to university and you carried on dealing, but you got a degree, you got a master's in, what did you study? I studied business and management as my undergrad and then I went on to do a master's in international relations. And you were just like really diligent, you got your work done. Yes, that, that was work what it was. first that and was then the, you could exactly, deal. It was like, exactly. I'm going to get my essays in and then I can go to and my... Yeah, and do what I need to, yes, but then that's because even down to college times, because then first I was selling weed and then I, I moved on to a bit more of the harder drugs. This is from the age of 15 to about 17 when it was time to then go to uni. But then I stopped because around those times was when a lot of my close friends and peers started going to prison. So at first I saw university as a way of escaping, just a reason to get out of London because I just felt like, for some reason, you can't, when you're doing certain things, you get this feeling like I'm next, especially when it's your friend that, you know, you're doing certain things with, they get caught and then you're just thinking, no, I'm next. You know, if he's being observed and I hang with him every other day, they must have seen my face too. So right. I saw going all the way to the Midlands as an escape, you know, it's two hours away, nearly two hours away from London. 
I can escape some people. You know, I'm going to be gone for about three years. By that time, my friend will be back out of jail. This is how I rationed it all in my head. Right. You know, I didn't have it in my head. Like, I'm just going there with the main focus of this, this, this. I've never had a job. So at this point, I didn't know what ambition to chase. Because, you know, yeah. I didn't have like an uncle who was like an engineer or who was like an IT specialist or any sort of figure around for me to gain any interest towards it. So you went off to uni. Mm-hmm. You did your degree, you did a master's. Mm-hmm. So you were there four years. I was there four years. And you came out of uni and what happened next? You then tried to get jobs, didn't get anywhere. Um, you, I've you... been trying to get a job literally for years. I can honestly say I've made thousands of applications. It's not like I haven't tried. Like I've tried to get a job. Why do you think you haven't? Do you think it's because no one's taught you how to apply for jobs? Do you think it's because you're applying for the wrong jobs? Do you think it's because you're a black man? What do you think the reasons are? I believe, yeah, as time went on, the reasons changed. Same way how the economy changes and what employers require, it changes. But these are things that I learned when I was in uni. So in a twisted way, I understood about it because I studied business and management. It touches up on employability. There's a module. And that was when I learned how to proper compose a CV. By this time, I was a late teens. You know, some people learn about CVs when they're 12 years old. I learned when I was in my late teens. So that was when I composed a CV and I started to understand about interviews and how to take yourself through it. But coming out, I felt, in a way, I felt entitled to having a job. Because before, like I said, how the economy changes. Before I went to uni, the requirement was to have a degree. That would secure you a decent job. But by the time I'm going to uni, not to mention that the conservatives changed the uni fee from three grand to nine grand, not to mention that, that was around the time where the economy then changed. The requirements for employment now changed from a degree to experience. But how can I have experience when I've spent the last four years of my life studying? Because I thought that's what the employers wanted. Studying and racking up debt for most students. Racking up some serious debt. Uh, I'm, I'm all for my children not going to university, but... You didn't get a job. What were you applying for? What did you want to do? To be honest, I just wanted anything. Can you believe that I even got turned down for Sainsbury's? And, you know, the person that gave me an interview, they didn't even bother interviewing me. From when they saw that I have a master's degree, they said, you're overqualified for the job. I don't know what that even meant. You just said you're overqualified for it, you know. Because maybe if he gave me the job within one year, two years, I'll end up being his manager because I've already got the qualifications for it. But you never know. I think people are sometimes a bit suspect of someone who applied for a job with too much experience. They're like, why are you applying for this job? You're going to be bored in five seconds as well. So I kind of, And I that was another like, thing with it as well. But for me, it was just, I just wanted any job just so I could say, yes, I have a job. And But you didn't get a job. Good experience. I didn't. I you didn't get a job. So you went back to dealing. Yeah. And that escalated quite extensively. So just talk us through that period. Talk us through like from then to getting arrested. Okay. So just through that period, remember, like I said um, at the critical point around the times I was in college I wanted to go to uni because a, a few of my good friends were going to prison around yeah. those times and the sort of sentences they would get it would have been around the time of me going to uni so it got to a point where now I'm out of uni my friend's out of jail but the difference is I've got a degree he's got a criminal record but then within a month he got a car a nice watch he lived in a nice place it looked like he got his life together within a month you know and here's me and this is how I felt and this is just my conscience and it made me sort of look in the mirror and say so what did I do all of this for and you see how you said you don't really want your kids to go uni it made me regret going uni I said what did I do it for I've got like a 27 grand debt I wasted some of my money that I saved 
for my extra degree, which yeah. I paid for myself. I could have saved that money and got a house, a car and so on. But I invested that money into myself for what? You know, oh, for me yeah. to be getting, to come to I interviews, to get discriminated. It made me really resentful and I, I lost, for the first time ever in my life, I actually lost confidence within myself. You know, and I didn't really know I was depressed until I went to prison and then I realised I started taking some courses in prison where they teach you the steps to how to realise someone's depressed. And then that was when I realised, I was like, whoa, I was crazy depressed. I was losing so my mind. So took us through that period up until prison then. Mm. So you saw these guys coming out of jail who mm. had cars, watches, guys, nice yeah. lives, and yeah. you were like, fuck it, I can't get a job. I can't get a job, and it's like, this these is, are the guys is... who was doing whatever with anyways. Yeah. You know, and to them, it's like, they're not, we're good friends. Like, whilst they were in prison, I would send them money, you know, we'll look after each other. So we had that loyalty. So it's not like they were saying, no, we're just doing us. They're saying, yo, when you're ready, just say the word, innit? Like, yeah. better yet, here's some money. But... Because of that pride, it's like, why you can't just be giving me money? Like, yeah. you was in jail. Yeah. I was in uni. You're meant to be coming out and I'm meant to have a job and be saying, if anything, I'm meant to be saying, you know what, come to my house. Yeah. Yes, here's a room, stay there. But, you know, so that day, it just it made me feel like, you know, the system has cheated me because I felt like I was lied to. I was lied to by the system because when I was in college, they told me that if you go to uni, you'll get a good job. Yeah. So I went to uni. Honestly, it was something, yeah, where AMPR cameras. What cameras? It's called AMPR. It's something that it, it will track your journey. If there's an AMPR camera, let's say if there's one in Kingston and there's one in somewhere in East London. If you go through an AMPR camera in Kingston and you happen to go through the one in East London, it will be able to track your whole journey right back from where you started, from where it first got you. So then that's how police use it for a lot of evidence in court, you know, to say you was here, then you went there, then you went here, and you was in within the vicinity or so on and so forth. But from when my thing came up in the NPR camera, you know, the insurance wasn't registered to that area. So then it made like a car of suspicion. So what police did first round, they stopped me. With me, previously never having been arrested before, I knew that it would just be a conversation. So I was just like, look, search me just so I could get like one of those slips. 
So that means that I would never, I won't be searched for the rest of the day. They left it for three days because it only is only valid for about um, 24 hours. Okay. Okay. But then what they did was they marked my car as a car for suspicion. Rightfully so, they did, didn't it? Because they're doing their job at the end of the day. Yeah. So then they left me for three days. For three days, they just watched what I was doing. But with me, around that time, I got really complacent because like a week before... I buried one of my very good friends. But then that's just how it goes, you know. So I became less focused. Mm -hmm. Then the day they stopped me, it was literally just on my lap. But because they already marked my thing as a thing for suspicion, and, you know, they caught me. And, you know, the way they caught me, they um, did something called a T-pack. So they waited until I was, like, near a bus stop. And um, they waited for oncoming traffic to start moving. It got me in a way that I I couldn't move. I couldn't drive away, you know, and I was with a girlfriend of mine at the time as well. So imagine... And this was a day before one of my close friends' wedding. So whilst one of my friends was getting married, I was sitting in the cell. It's crazy, man. And did they let you out on bail? They let me out on bail, but that's because that was my first time ever getting arrested. Point blank. But it just so happened to be a serious thing. They let you out on bail. How long until you went to prison? Um, One month. From being arrested to going to prison? Mm-hmm. And what was your sentence? 30 months. And Two years, six months to be exact. And you served how long? I did 10 months custodial, five months on tag, and I'm on license till 2021. That's when my sentence officially ends. How did you find prison? All right. Now, the reason I say prison isn't a deterrent, because the fear of going to prison, I believe, is more, is more intense than actually going there. It's bad. Don't, it's terrible. It's the worst feeling. But what I imagined in my head was worse than what? I actually went through. You said to me when I met you, prison was a bit of a deterrent. Mm. Would it stop you reoffending? No. So what stops you reoffending? Education, opportunity, mm. hence the organisation key and for respect life. respect for time. You know, prison was a big waste of time. Yeah. You know, yes, it was a big learning curve, but it was a serious waste of time. You're just put on pause and, you know, the world is moving so rapid around you and it's just it's just slow being there yeah for me that's the deterrent it's just the time just not being around loved ones how did you pass your time went to the gym a lot played a lot of board games blackjack i played a lot of table tennis i worked in the clink as well yeah you that did. helped a lot it just gave me the norm like yes i'm basically home because i'm dealing with members of the public you know it's something different because in prison every day is the same every day is the same but you see, with the clink, it made every day different because mm. we're getting different guests. You know, What was your job in the clink? Um, I was a waiter. Yeah, I just didn't want to be in the Charming kitchen. Charming the guests. I learned a lot about food as well with the clink. Honestly, I learned a lot about food. And I, with that, I got a level two food safety course so I can open my own little caravan. I always tell people this. So you worked out, you played board games, you worked mm. in the clink. Mm-hmm. Were there other courses you, you got involved in? Is there much education um, going on. There was there was loads of courses to do with like mental health because mental health is something that's taken really really seriously in prison. And since prison, like a post prison me, I take mental health very seriously. Like if someone tells me they're going through something, I I sit them down and I talk them through what they're going through and I like them to process their emotions. You know, since me being in prison, five people committed suicide. Like there's a lot of suicides in prison, mm. a lot of drug overdoses. So this is the sort of life, this is the sort of things, the sadness you have to be prepared with that is surrounded around prison. There's a lot of death. So you came out on good behaviour? It's HDC tag, I was entitled to it. If you're sentenced, I don't know if it's changed now. Um, if you're sentenced to anything under four years, you're entitled to tag to After HDC. After how long? After your categorization has changed, 
Like yeah. first, everyone goes to prison starting off as a B cat. B cat is just a category that's just for remand, and you know, yeah. if it's your first time in prison, they don't really know you. And then for me, I got decategorized to a C cat because I wasn't in prison for violence or anything. I was in prison for more drug offenses. So you came out. You went on tag. I came out on HDC because I was eligible for it because my sentence was, you know, under four years. But then I still had to be on HDC for five months. But on tag, it just my conditions was. I had to be home from seven to seven. Couldn't go in my garden after seven. I had to dispute it to get my garden. Yeah. And you're just, you're monitored. Like there's different types of HDCs. There's ones that pinpoints your location, exactly where you're at, you know. And there's one where, you know, it will just show the route you've taken that day. It sounds yeah. to me like quite a good measure. It is. So you did 10 months in prison. Yeah. How many months on tag? Five months. And but that's because my sentence was um, two years, six months. So if you break it down, remember, it's 30 months. Yeah. It, the United Kingdom justice system, when you're sentenced, you do half. If it's under 10 years, then you do half. Okay. And your sentence is up next year. Next year, that's correct. So you're off tag now, mm-hmm. but your sentence isn't up. So what does that yeah, mean for you now? Means, um, what can't you do now? That means you're still on license now. When you come out of prison, because in the UK, it's half the sentence and then you do the other half on license. So let's say if someone's got a four-year sentence, they do two years either custodial or they could do, let's say, a year and a half on um, custodial and then the rest on tag. But then they'll still be on license for the other half, which is the other two years. So after that, that there's certain conditions that for me, due to my conviction and the nature of my crime, I can't have like two phones. I can't go to the area that I was arrested in. Like I'm banned from there for like five years or something. I can't have a car without telling my probation officer about it. My phone... They've got the IMEI number, whatever it is. There's just loads of restrictions, you know. Um, you have to go see a probation officer. I can't go abroad without telling them. I can't stay anywhere past two days without letting my probation officer like, look, this is where I am. And there's just other things on the list, but then I just can't remember them all together. The tag system and being mm. on license, to me, that sounds like quite a good system. Mm. If you're going to abide by the law mm. and you're going to come out early, mm. then... Keep it fucking clean or you Straight won't go back to prison, right? It's your choice, isn't it? Why mentally do you think you haven't gone back to prison? Because, Georgie, the day you met me, because this is why, you see, when we started and I told you to start the whole thing, interview with that, because for me, I feel like that's a critical plot point in my life. Because do you know what I was thinking when I was staring out that window? You wouldn't believe what was running through my mind because then that was the day that, remember, my driver's license got revoked. And that's why you're so pissed off. I was fuming. <laughs> I just come out of prison. I'm still on tag. I have to still go and fight other cases for my driver's license, which they then revoked. You know, they expected me to get proof that I couldn't get because I was in prison around the time that they tried to revoke it. But now that I'm out, you're still chasing me up on it. Like, I was fuming about it. And I was just like, you know when you're hitting the fuck it button? I just kept on tapping it in my head. And then you just came. Hi, why are you sitting there on your own? You look upset. You got a nice jacket. Like, it threw me off. Like, I think I looked at Jordan for like a good three seconds, not saying nothing before I said Who something. Who the fuck are you? What yeah, are you I doing in here? I looked at dead in the eyes. But for me, the reason I say that's a critical plot point is because that was a point where it's like someone out of nowhere someone just showed a mad interest. Do you know what I mean? I was wearing black on black on black. I'm thinking I'm here incognito. No one can see me. No one even cares that I'm here. Like, not in a sentimental way, like no one cares that I'm here, but it's like, no one knows what I'm going through in my head right now. You know, but then Georgie just came and she made me just forget about what I'm going through. And she started talking to me about something that, you know, I never thought about before, you know, modeling. At first I found it funny. And then coming there meeting Elle, 
and her showing me all the cool little camera editing stuff and that. It was interesting. And meeting Rich, things like that. Like I said, if people are introduced to that kind of approach, that kind of thing, it will change the dynamic. Yeah. yeah. You know, if I met you when I just finished uni, I wouldn't have gone to prison. I honestly believe it. If, because these are support, the sort of support that is being offered now are the support that people should get before yeah. going to all these things. In it's ju- just so hard, isn't it, though? People are getting into crime at 13. Like- yeah, that's true. But in some cases, you won't know till it's too late. So that's why it's good to just throw the support out there. Like, you know, if someone's been arrested, rather than police treating a 13-year-old kid like he's even aware of his... He's not even aware of his emotions. He's not fully aware of his emotions. Yeah, yeah. Like, you've also got to be an adult now. I believe... Be I honestly believe I didn't learn to even process my emotions properly till I was 25. Yeah. You know, but... With those things, you need is about information and giving people the opportunity. That's all it is. Because then that's what you did. You gave me an opportunity and I've taken it. And I'm yet to disappoint, I hope. I'm so <laughs> far, so good. Yeah, so far, so good. Your timekeeping was a bit iffy on your first day. It, but it was. It now was. he's early. Now every time now he comes, early, he comes totally so bloody early. early. So, yeah, you know, it, it, <laughs> we got over that. <laughs> You're like, oh, only an hour late. <laughs> honestly honestly that was probably hey, you've nailed it now yeah. so, and, you know, you've nailed it now and that's what's so important about giving these guys mm. who are on the key for life program so if somehow you're listening today and you haven't picked up that Sheerlux is working with Key for Life, this mm. amazing charity that works with ex-offenders, with young men in prison, with men who are kind of on that path mm. to give them opportunities to put them into work tasters. That is why it is so important. Everything that you've said leads on to that. You know, it's about information, it's about opportunity. And you've never had a job. And I didn't really get, when they said to me, the, the work taster, you know, we were like, what task is he going to do? And, and you did task, but what I didn't get is it's also basic stuff. Like, mm-hmm. you know, I grew up doing work experience as a child because I had those opportunities, mm-hmm. but you'd never done that. It's no one stressed to you the importance you... of turning up on time. If you, you bunked yeah. off school, then you went to prison. You know, you probably missed loads of your lectures at uni. But, you know, the importance of the work taster is timekeeping, being in a professional environment being around colleagues like i remember that workshop we did one of the things we did was like looking people in the eye shaking their hand mm. striking out a bit of conversation just like those interpersonal skills that for a lot of people listening are just normal and they they've got father figures to teach them that stuff or you know role models that they grew up with that you didn't have or even older siblings or just the right people they don't have to be related to you you could have a neighbor yeah who yeah. you know you see him doing well he might be a plumber and yeah. that might be something that you could want to go into you know but it's not really like that when you know the 30 year old man in the area is a drug dealer yeah and then the next older person the oldest other person around there is probably just a hooligan he likes fighting and whatever like these are the sort of people that are around these areas so what i mean is just the right people is about empowering the right people yeah because the person who is the right person these kids in the streets will not respect them because they don't look successful you're not going to take advice from someone who is not successful because then that means that they did not follow their advice either the future looks bright the future looks good for you Mm. you've managed to stay on the straight and narrow and you've had work experience with us with landsec which i know you thought was really beneficial Mm -hmm. definitely you're on the key for life program 
And I've completed the Key for Life program. You completed it? Yeah. I didn't know you'd fully completed it. So mm. what do you get from completing that program? Well, you get due to COVID times, we can't really celebrate it as like the way we would probably want to. But then with Key for Life, isn't they more looking towards turning them into like a key worker. But with that, for me, I don't really know how I feel about that. You know, I, I'm not a role model. I don't like telling people what to do. No, but I think you just got to share your experiences and you're such a good speaker. Duh. You can captivate an audience. Look at the way you captivated our viewers on the Sherlock show and the way you captivated 30 members of our team who sat mm. and listened to you talk for an hour. Like, you've got something special there. You should use it. And Key for Life is an amazing charity. It's a charity that needs people's involvement. Mm. Guys like Maya are good guys but didn't have the opportunities that a lot of us had mm. and all the guys I met in that workshop I was like what a genuinely nice group of guys mm. a lot of them without a lot of confidence and I really saw that and you really need these chances That's so to reiterate answers. yeah what we keep saying is just mm. please get in touch with Key for Life and find out how you can give someone it's a three-day work taster and it can be any industry any business and and there's a guy sitting here who is born to model and he's got a great (laughs) bone structure he looks bloody good in a suit you know if you're a brand that wants to help a good guy for really good reasons and needs a model then you know he's your man so get in touch with us we'll put you in touch with maya but you know he needs our help because this isn't going away and it's bloody hard when you come out of prison it's very difficult to follow another path and to stay on the straight and narrow and he wants to and there are a lot of guys that do want to but you know they need our help Maya I'm always so inspired when I talk to you you're a legend you're a legend and thank you so much for chatting to us that's it for this week if you enjoyed that then do please rate review subscribe leave a comment we'll be back soon hold up what was that Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan, crusted chicken, or garlic, butter, shrimp, scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.